Good morning, Skyline. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I am glad to report that we are no longer officially in a heat wave. Uh, I think it was maybe two weeks. It seemed like maybe two months that we've been living through that. Um, but uh, really enjoying uh, the weather today, that's for sure. Uh, welcome back to our series on wisdom. And this morning, we're going to jump right in with an audience participation. Uh, and I want to give you a chance to um, tell me what you're thinking. And we're going to play word association. So I'm going to give you the word. And then the first word that pops into your head, I want you to just call it out. Okay? We'll collect some of those. All right. Are you ready? All right. Here's the word. Prosperity. Money. 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 Anybody have an original thought besides money? Property. Property. What else? What else came to mind? Beach house. Beach house. That's a good one. Prosperity. Beach house. I like that. Anything else? Success. Success. I heard one. Home. All right. All right. Good. They're, they're all relevant. There's no wrong answers today to word association. Um, <clears throat> what we want to do today, though, is we want to explore a little bit about the connection between wisdom and prosperity. And as I was preparing uh, this message, I uh, was on my computer, and an ad popped up for a book that had prosperity in the title. Now, how coincidental is that? I thought, wow, i got to check out this book. Um, and as I thought about it, I didn't think about it right then. I, I checked out the book. But later on, I realized that wasn't a coincidence because I had put prosperity into my search engine to look for a definition to prepare this message. And, you know, big tech is always looking over your shoulder. So, boom, I start getting these ads for prosperity. It's, it's amazing how that works. Um, so the name of this book did catch my attention. Um, it's by... Um, a guy that you might know, you might have seen him on TV. His name is Charles Payne. Uh, he's an anchor over at Fox Business News. Now, Charles, I am sure, knows a lot more about the financial markets than I do. But the title of his book, I thought, was a little bit strange. Uh, the title was How to Build Unstoppable Prosperity. And, you know, I thought about that, and it's like I had a couple of problems with that. One is... I don't know if you can build prosperity. Now, if prosperity and wealth are exactly the same thing, then I guess you can build it because you always talk about building wealth, right? That's a common phrase. We build wealth. But there's something different about prosperity. It's not just wealth. Uh, there's something bigger to it. There's something more, I think, out of my control than just building wealth. And the other part of the uh, title that I think I really got hung up on was this word unstoppable. Is prosperity unstoppable? Can you build prosperity to the point where it's just like this unstoppable locomotive, like nothing can stop it in your life? See, I think of prosperity much more as fleeting. Um, it's something that you have, but you could lose. Uh, it's, it's maybe here one day and, and, and gone tomorrow. And the person that I would point to in the Bible that's a good example of fleeting prosperity is the man Job. 
Now, Job was a righteous man, and Job was a prosperous man. <clears throat> We're told in the beginning of the book that he had hundreds of camels and sheep and donkeys and cattle. Now, you might look at that and say, that's not that impressive. Like, I wouldn't consider that very wealthy, but back in his day, that was wealth, right? That was like having um, a portfolio of thousands of shares of, oh, I don't know, Apple and another thousand shares of Microsoft and another thousand shares of Nike and, and on and on it goes. That was his portfolio of wealth. So um, the thing is that he had all this wealth and he lost it all in a single day. It was kind of like the um, stock market crash of 1929. Like he had all of this wealth and in a single day, a bunch of different events happened. His servants came and reported and they said, it's all gone. It was carried away uh, by raiding parties, um, everything. So yeah, there was actually something going on in heaven um, between God and Satan that caused all of that to happen. Basically, Satan said, Job, he only, he only worships you because of what you give him. But if you take all that away, he'll curse you to your face. Um, so that was a little side story of the, what was going on. But my point in telling you that story today is that all that prosperity that he had, that he, he built over time, it was gone in an instant. And prosperity can be fleeting that way. It's much bigger than just any one person building their own little fortune. So let's go back a little bit and recap our series so far on wisdom. Uh, the first week we talked about the value of wisdom. Derek told us that the value of wisdom is that it teaches us to live disciplined and successful lives. And then we talked about the path of wisdom. And we said that you will take a path and that path will certainly lead you to a destination. But not every path takes you where you want to go. The Bible says there's a wide path, but that leads to destruction. And then there's a narrow path, and that's the one that leads to life. And then in week three, we talked about trusting God's wisdom. And we said, in order to trust God's wisdom, you have to trust God more than you trust yourself. And that's easy to say, but sometimes that's hard to do because we cling to the things that we think we know. And then finally, last week, uh, Derek explained the modeling of wisdom, and we used this phrase. We said, a seeking heart makes smart choices that produce a God-blessed life, and that is marked by a gentle spirit. Now, I want to build off of that, um, that idea of a God-blessed life and a gentle spirit, and you'll see that that's going to play a major role in what we have to talk to you today about, and that is the prosperity of wisdom. What is the relationship between prosperity and wisdom? Is it a direct correlation? It's like, I do wise things, I become prosperous. I don't think it's that. I think it's more like maybe a byproduct of wisdom. I would say that people who make consistently wise choices tend to be prosperous. And see, this is actually the way that we should interpret all of the Proverbs. 
Proverbs are not ironclad promises that the Bible gives us. If you do this, then this is what's going to happen to you. No, rather they're um, general observations about life. And those general observations are typically going to come true in our lives. There are always exceptions. And God is, is doing his thing um, on another plane like he was in Job's life. But in general, these are things that we can live our lives by. And that's where the wisdom of Proverbs comes in. So, I had mentioned that I was looking for a definition when I started getting these pop-up ads for books about prosperity. And I found two definitions that I think fit our culture today. Uh, the first one says, prosperity means that a person has a sufficient amount of money to fulfill their needs and desires. Well, that makes sense. It's not only about your needs, right? You've got more than what you need. You've got enough to be prosperous, to, to start going after some of those desires. And the second definition is a little bit more simpler and compact. It says the state of being successful, usually by making a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's what, if you, um, if you just kind of wander around in our culture today and you rub shoulders with people out there, and you ask them what they think prosperity is, you're going to get a money-based answer. Prosperity is based off of money. That's the way our culture defines it. But is that really what the Bible defines as prosperity? When you read the word prosperity in the Bible, is that what it's talking about? Well, consider Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, where it says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Now that is exactly what the definition that we just read was. But it goes on to say, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. That was just like bam, 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 bam. Just like knock me down five pegs there with that list. See, this was actually written to a church. This was written to Christians who had come to believe that the wealth that they had acquired, the material wealth, made them fit for anything, that they didn't have any need. And they were actually beginning to leave God out of the equation because they, they were so secure in what they thought they had built, this worldly wealth. But if biblical prosperity is not worldly wealth, then what is it? Well, the biblical definition of prosperity simply means being blessed by God. Or as Derek stated it last week, it's living a God-blessed life. And that brings us to our big idea today. And it's that prosperity is a byproduct of wisdom, but it's not about getting and hoarding material wealth. It is about living open hands, palms up. Now, the middle part of that statement I want to focus on a little bit, the idea that it's not getting and hoarding wealth. Now, we said that you could get that idea from our culture, right? You just kind of are out there in a the culture, and that's what keeps pouring in, right? That prosperity is wealth, prosperity is wealth. But it's not only the non-Christian culture where we get that from. 
There are many, many, too many pastors and churches today that are teaching what I would call a prosperity gospel. And what that means is you send them your money and God promises to give you back tenfold, fiftyfold, and a hundredfold. What they're teaching you is that in order for you to get, you have to give. You give, but the ultimate purpose is to get. And it's all based on material wealth. It's all based on the idea that prosperity is money. Now, the Bible actually teaches the opposite of that. And we're going to learn that as we go down through the message today. Two main goals that I want you to get today. One, we want to define in detail what biblical prosperity is and what it isn't. And then two, we want to show what, what's the link between prosperity and wisdom. So let's jump into the book of Proverbs and see if we can find out what it's telling us about prosperity. And for starters, I want to give you three things that the Bible tells us is more important than a big bank balance. And the first one is humility. Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. So the Bible is equating with riches this idea of humility. Now, you won't get that from our culture today, right? There's not a lot of humility out there on the social media. But it all starts with knowing who God is and knowing who I am in relationship to God. God is big and I'm small. God is rich, he's got all the wealth in the world, and I am relatively poor. God is holy, and I am a sinner. God is love, and I am selfish. God is light, and I walk around in darkness all the time. And finally, God is patient, and I get angry with people who try my patience so easily. See, once you recognize who you are, in relationship to who God is, the only appropriate response is one of humility. And that's where it all starts. Humility is so foundational to wisdom and ultimately to prosperity. What's the opposite of humility? It's pride. Thinking that you're better than everyone else. What does the Bible say about pride? Well, in Proverbs, it says pride goes before destruction. And it also says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, that verse can be found in Proverbs, and then it's repeated again two times in the New Testament, in the book of Peter and the book of James. Three times God repeats that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Second thing that we can learn that is better than a big bank balance is your reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed, better than silver or gold. So how do you feel when your coworkers recognize uh, you for doing a, a really good job at work? Or maybe one of your family members compliments you. It makes us feel really pretty good. Well, you do that over and over again, and you begin to develop a reputation for excellence. And reputation is built by demonstrating excellent character over time. 
A reputation can take a lifetime to build, but it can be snuffed out in one moment of carelessness. Third thing that the Bible teaches us is more important than a big bank balance is instruction or education. Psalms says the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. So the decrees of the Lord are his instruction to us. He's given us instructions. And it says that those are firm. Again, when I see the word firm, I think that's something that I can build on. That is foundational in my life. Might not be able to build a lot of wealth, but I can build off the instructions of the Lord. So I believe that God is telling us that these three issues, and there's probably a bunch more, are character issues that are actually more important than material wealth. But how we handle money is also a character issue. So the Bible tells us that we live in a sowing and reaping world. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And we can certainly say that a woman is going to reap what she sows too. So you get what you plant. You plant a seed of corn and eventually corn sprouts forth. You plant a seed of wheat and you're going to get the wheat plant. And God is going to make sure that what you sow is what you reap. Now that can be a blessing and that can be a curse. But it reminds me of what my youth pastor told me many, many years ago. I've remembered it to this day. Life is not determined by what you want, but by the choices that you make. So let's look at three choices that all of us have when it comes to sowing and reaping with money. And again, we go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is replete with wisdom when it comes to how we handle money. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all he has. Now, if any of you have taken financial peace, you're going to recognize some of these verses. Um, because this is, this is the heart of what the Bible teaches about how to handle money. So, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. What does that mean? That means he's got this big pantry full of stuff for a rainy day. For when the crops fail, we can go back to our big store of food that we've saved up. See, they're saving some of what God has blessed them with. They're not spending it all. But the foolish man, he spends it all. Whatever income he has, it goes out. Now, it's a couple years old, but the last statistic that I heard on this was that 75% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That means that as much money comes in in a month, it all goes out, and there's no saving going on. The Bible says... That's not what wisdom teaches us to do. You know, the connection between saving and prosperity, uh, there's a story in the Bible about Joseph. And Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. 
He was in an Egyptian prison when the Pharaoh had a dream that none of his wise men could interpret, and somebody knew that Joseph was an interpreter of dreams. So they summoned him, and basically, Pharaoh had two dreams. They were both pretty much the same. But the first dream was that seven fat, sleek cows came out of the Nile River. And then behind them came seven skinny, scrawny cows, and they ate the fat cows. And he was troubled, but he didn't know what the dream meant. And Joseph told him the interpretation of the dream is that there's going to be seven years of prosperity in the land. But after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And because they were warned ahead of time, Pharaoh was able to create a program. He actually put Joseph in charge of it, where they saved like crazy during those seven years. A fifth of everything that they produced, they didn't consume, but they saved it. And then when they had the seven years of famine, Egypt was the only country that had enough food for its people. That's the wisdom of saving versus spending. Now, the second choice that you have, sowing and reaping, with money is borrowing versus lending. And Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. So notice the action words here, rule and slave. It's pretty clear that the Bible is saying that when you are in debt, you are a slave financially. The person or institution that you owe money, they basically own your work. Think about it. You work for money, but at the end of the day, that money doesn't even belong to you because you have to pay somebody back. So... Debt is financial slavery. The Bible warns about it. It says in the New Testament, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. But basically, debt is not good. And I, I read another fact that is as disturbing as it is interesting. <clears throat> and this one is from this year. In 2022, 13% of all new car buyers are carrying a monthly payment of, anybody want to guess? $1,000. 13% of everybody who buys a new car today is doing so with a $1,000 monthly payment. Is that whacked or what? I mean, I hope, I hope it's none of you out there. Um, but this is a problem. You know, the first thing we do is that we spend everything that we have and we're not saving. And then you complicate it when you come along and you say, you know what, it's not enough that I spend everything that I have. I'm going to spend my future salary and start borrowing and still not save anything. But that's the, that's the plight of a lot of us in America today. And it's, it's a danger. So the third choice that you have with money, and this is only if you do number one right, Right? If, if you actually decide that you're going to save uh, and not spend at all, now you've got something that you can fall back on. But the choice is between hoarding and giving now. And notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
So he who supplies the seed is God. God is supplying the, the sower of, of the seed. So, so when a farmer collects his harvest, he's got to put aside seed for next year. That's the first thing that he does. And then if he's got anything left over after that, then he can start storing up. And so God's the one who supplies that, and he supplies the bread to put on your table. Basically, God is supplying our immediate need here. And he will also supply and increase your store of seed. So God supplies our immediate need. God supplies an overage, and that we can put into savings. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Oh, by the way, it's not all about money, right? It's also that God has given us all these other things. Sometimes we just compartmentalize it and we think it's all about money. But God is giving us so much more. Now, look at the next verse. This is critical. It says in verse 11, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let's break that down. You will be made rich. That's prosperity. In every way. Does that mean financially blessed? Yes. Does that mean character-wise you're blessed? Yes. In every way. God blesses us in so many ways, and it's not just money. So that. So whenever you see those two words, so that, in the Bible, that means what's coming next is the purpose for what just came before. So why does God prosper us? So that you can be generous on every occasion. See, God doesn't prosper us so that we can get more and hoard it and keep it for ourselves. It's not the, that's the reason at all. He gives it to us so that we can be generous, to give it out. So go back to the prosperity gospel, right? Prosperity gospel says, I give to get. But the real true gospel says, I get to give. So how can we be generous? Well, I thought we'd take a, a short inventory this morning of all the things that God gives us that we can be generous with. Let's start with um, knowledge, right? All of us have knowledge about different things. Um, you know, some of us have book smarts and some of us have street smarts. Um, I'm an engineer. When I first started in the engineering field, I worked for a company that had hundreds of engineers, and I was just like fresh out of school and I didn't know anything. And there were two kinds of engineers that I worked with. There's the guy or gal who knew a lot and was willing to share what they knew. They were willing to make me better because they knew that was helping the team. But there was always at least a few that were very, very tight with what they knew. Because they thought that if I knew what they knew, then their job security might be not quite as, as strong, right? There's always that type that wants to just hold on to what they know. God says, don't do that. Be generous. I've given you. Like, the knowledge comes from, from God. So don't, don't be tight-fisted with it. Second, skills. Uh, all of us have different vocational backgrounds. You have skills just from the job that you do. Do you know that there are all kinds of ministry opportunities here at the church? Um, we're getting better, and we're, we're actually starting to, to put down those needs on our website. If you go to the website, to the serve page, you'll see there are a lot of these 
are actually in the form of a job description. And this is what you need if, if you want to help us in this area. So you've got vocational skills. Some of you are mechanically inclined. You can fix anything. Some of you have culinary skills. You can cook or you can bake. Um, I know our, our, our pastor's wife, Miss Lori, is a famous baker in whatever neighborhood she lives in because she's always baking cookies and pies and handing them out. Um, she's generous that way. How about possessions? Do you have a house, a truck, or a pool? I can think of a lot of ways that you can use those assets to bless other people. And how about your time? We all have, we're all kind of equal when it comes to time, right? We've all got the same 24 hours in a day. But the time that's not already spoken for, how can you use that to be generous? You can volunteer, maybe a um, school community association or something in town. Certainly there are plenty of ways uh, to minister here at the church using your time. And finally, the list, yes, money. Money can be used to bless people in the most amazing ways. In fact, you will never have more fun with money than when you can give it to somebody without them knowing who gave it, and you can meet a need that they have. You know, the Bible says in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful in the Greek, literally translated, means hilarious. And, and you can have just the most joy and the most fun when you have your money and you treat it like this rather than like this. So what is the role that wisdom plays in terms of our prosperity? Well, I think wisdom teaches us to hold these riches with open hands and palms up. That's our, our phrase of the day today. So if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember that. See, in Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, right in the middle of that passage, this is what it says about her. It says, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. This is the universal symbol of generosity. This is saying, what's mine is yours. And it's the opposite of the clenched fist. Now, it all starts in our mind. It all starts with the attitude that we have about what God has given us. And I want you to notice in Philippians what it said about Jesus' attitude. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus didn't think that the riches of heaven were worth holding on to. He let them go so that he could come down here and be a servant. Now, um, I had mentioned earlier that Pharaoh had a dream, and I came across a video this week about a guy named Frank who also had a dream, and uh, his dream was one that really convicted him about the subject that we're talking about, living generously, and uh, I'm going to share it with you now. It's a short one, but it convicted me as well, so see if it convicts you as much as it did me. Guilty is not a word we're used to hearing much these days. Guilty pleasures are in, guilt trips are out. Frank had a very convicting dream in which he was judged guilty 
He was convicted, not just by the judge, but by his own heart. He was giving God the leftovers, the time leftover after he had done everything that really mattered to him, the money leftover after he had paid for everything he wanted. There's this amazing image in James 5. Some people are hoarding their money rather than using it to help God's children. And God tells them, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion testifies against you. They also aren't paying their employees fairly. And he tells them, the wages you fail to pay your workers are crying out against you. Stored money, spent money. Both were testifying guilty. If your money could talk, what would it say? Yes, sweaty palms? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with money or budgets. It's okay to like money. But the Bible tells us you cannot serve both God and money. Everything in your life is either an idol or a tool. Is your money an idol or a tool to serve the Lord? Money talks. What would your money say about you? What would your time say, your talents? Living generously is about living with a heart so full of love for God that it overflows to others with the best of all we have. Are you experiencing that life now? How do you plead? So in just a couple of moments, we're going to uh, sing. The um, worship team is gonna lead us in singing, Build My Life. And while it may not be possible to build prosperity, it is possible to build your life on humility, reputation, and the instruction that God gives us in his word. As God blesses us with his riches, whether it's relationships, whether it's ministry, whether it's time, possessions, or even money, we get to live with arms open, hands up, palms open to the world. We get to meet people's needs in the name of Jesus. We get to follow the example of Jesus, who thought that the riches of heaven were not something to be grasped, but he freely became the servant of all. When we learn to live with open hands and palms up, then we begin to experience the prosperity of wisdom. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would take these words, Lord, and uh, embed them into our minds. God, help us to cut through all the things that we've been taught about money through the culture that we live in and even sometimes through well-meaning church people. God, speak to our hearts through these proverbs, through your wisdom. Lord, teach us what is that next step that we need to take with our money, with our time, with our talents. God, help us to remember to live with open arms, with open hands, and with palms up. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>